I would point out to you that we have begun the season that we call Lent. We don't ask you to put ashes on your forehead. We don't ask you to give up anything for this season. But we go to its general, real true meeting was that this was a season when we prepare our hearts to think about the death of Christ. And that's what it's purpose was originally. Now, if somebody wants ashes, you go somewhere and I'll get them out of my wood stove. I got plenty in there. All right? We don't need that to prepare our hearts. It's an inward process where inside of us we get ready to focus on the greatest event in all of history, the death of Jesus Christ. We have three main things. He was born into this world. Thank God he was born. He died on a cross. What a wonderful thing for us. And what a horrible thing for him. And then he rose again. Wow. And so, yeah, that's what we got coming. And so we're focusing now, beginning during the season of Lent, we start to focus on those events and turn our minds as we go through our text towards what's coming. That is the death of Christ. So the season of Lent is meant for us to prepare ourselves. You can't say, Good Friday, I think I'll think about Jesus' death. It's not enough. It's not anywhere near enough. It'll take us six weeks to get our minds honed in so that we're down to business when we arrive at Good Friday and we've thought about the great weight and the monumental event of the death of Christ. So we begin today traveling down that road And John chapter number 8, we continue our text as we travel down the road that will lead us to Calvary and the death of Christ. John chapter 8 for our text this morning. Over the years that I've been preaching, almost 40 now, I've had a few times when something unexpected happens. Not the kind of thing you can prepare for. (laughs) but things that you never dreamed could happen during a service. I suppose it's kind of a test to see what a preacher is made of if you can keep going when the service gets interrupted. Uh, Back when we started this church, we didn't have air conditioning, like thank God we do today. So on a hot summer day, we used to prop open the doors in the back and in the front, and run a fan, they're trying to cool the building off a little bit. Well, we had both doors on a hot summer day propped open, and a tree swallow, which is a little blue-colored bird, flew in through those double doors. And once it got in, it stayed up high. So it went around and around and around in circles. And I want to tell you, it's hard to keep people's attention... When there's a bird flying around and around and around. (laughs) When you're preaching. I'm not sure anybody heard a word I said as that bird went round and round. Of course, one day, it was a fall day, we had a much more exciting service than the bird flying around. In this corner right here, we were decorated for fall. We had a big group of corn stalks right in that corner. Somehow a chipmunk got in in the church, and uh, he ran under the pews. Nobody saw him when he ran under the pews. 
And then he came right here and he ran to the top of the cornstalks. And he jumped off, which was very exciting. And then he ran underneath those pews, which made all the ladies pretty excited too. <laughs> and uh, he finally went out the entryway and it only lasted a minute but it was a very dramatic minute <clears throat> I must say but chipmunks and swallows are nothing compared to the interruptions I've had doing services at the nursing home I've been doing services at the nursing home for over 40 years and I've had some uh, real episodes during those services. I remember one time there was a couch in the room and there was three ladies all sitting nicely on the couch and they filled the couch up. I was playing the piano and singing Rock of Ages, clap for me, let me hide myself in thee. And when another lady came into the room and she stopped, she looked at the couch and looked at it and then she turned around backwards and started backing up to the couch. Well, I'm singing away, and the ladies are yelling, Don't, don't, don't! Well, you... (laughs) She kept backing up, and she sat right on two of those ladies. Before I knew what happened, there was a full-blown fistfight on the couch. They were punching her, and she was punching them back. I just kept singing, Let me hide myself in me. That poor lady tried to hide herself on a couch. It didn't work very well. <laughs> and I didn't exactly maintain order, but I kept going. Anyway. In another instance, I had a lady who came in the room during the service while I was talking. She'd come in the room and walk right in front of me while I was talking and go out the door. And then she'd take a lap around the hall come in the room a second time walk right in front of me and go out the door and she did that three times in a matter of about ten minutes she'd come in and out three times I just kept talking and ignoring her the people in the service were a little peeved at her but I kept going and then I could see she was coming in for round four but this time when she came in the door it was a little different it was the fourth time she walked in front of me and she didn't have any pants on at all. <laughs> which, which made it a little harder to concentrate. <laughs> but we finally got through the service. So between swallows and chipmunks and fistfights and bare bottoms, I've had my share of interruptions in the service. Now in our text today, Jesus is preaching when he gets interrupted. And this is one of those interruptions you just can't ignore. He appears to try to ignore it, but it won't go away. It's the week-long holiday in our text called the Feast of Tabernacles. It had just come to an end 
It was a celebration of harvest, but it was also a feast to commemorate the historical event of Moses leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. So people brought tents and lean-tos, and they slept all over the streets of Jerusalem. It was sort of a national camp out for a whole week. Now Moses and the children of Israel had slept in tents, but they also had a cloud that they followed during the day, which if you recall, turned into a pillar of fire at night. And so it was that during the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the 27-acre temple complex was illuminated every night with huge candelabras, and the people would carry torches so that the darkness of the night was illuminated by torches and candles in celebration of the cloud of fire that Moses had. Early the next morning, after the last day of it, Jesus went to the temple court early in the morning to preach to people. And it's quite possible they were just putting out the candles as the feast was over, as the holiday had come to an end. I'm sure Jesus was about to comment on the light of the candles when he suddenly and quite rudely interrupted. So let's begin now. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? They, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Jesus is in the courtyard teaching the people. And suddenly a delegation of big shots, scribes and Pharisees, experts on Mosaic law, and the Pharisees who were certainly the snobs of the temple, uh, came down through the courtyard out of the buildings, and they're all dressed in their fancy long robes with long flowing robes all around them with their fancy headgear pieces that they wore, all prim and proper. And they're pushing in front of them a woman. And when they get to Jesus, the woman drops on her knees and covers her face in shame down on the ground. The big shots are all indignant. And they point to the woman in disgust. And they say, this woman, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone has been sleeping next to each other in this national camp out in the streets of Jerusalem. In the huge crowds, not everybody came to express thanks for harvest. And in close quarters, if people want, somebody wanted to do something wrong, or in this case commit adultery, the crowds and the confusion might offer a cover for their evil choice. But no matter how secretive the evil deed was done, the woman is discovered. And apparently an angry husband has dragged her into the temple to the leaders and demanded that she be charged with adultery. 
after quietly consulting among themselves, they realized this is one of those dilemmas. It's a difficult case with no good options. But those sneaky lawyers see an opportunity. We can trap Jesus of Nazareth. So those cunning, clever lawyers decide, let's trap that country preacher down there who's preaching in our temple. In this case, we'll discredit him, and we'll be able to trap him with the problems of this case. Now, I want you to realize two things before we go on. Number one, to these scribes and Pharisees, this woman is just a piece of trash. They despised her before they ever met her, and now they particularly have contempt for her. And I want you to remember the second issue. She is guilty. She was caught in the act of adultery. She was cheating on her husband. And so the scribes and the Pharisees drag her to Jesus and in disgust point to her, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. We would like you, Jesus, to act as a judge in this case and give us a legal opinion. Moses' law says that such a woman is to be stoned to death. So please give us a legal opinion. What do you say? Now you might be asking right now a very reasonable question. I hope you are. If they have so much contempt for this woman, why didn't they decide the case themselves? Well, there's a problem. The Romans who occupy Israel and actually have a force of soldiers right in Jerusalem have said that capital punishment or execution of any kind, putting someone to death for crimes committed, was now a Roman prerogative and the Jews cannot execute anybody. So the dilemma is, if Jesus says Moses' law says stone an adulteress, he'll be going against the Roman law. And we can trap him that way. They can accuse him in a Roman court. But if Jesus says don't execute the woman, don't stone her to death, then they can charge him with breaking Moses' law. So either way, Jesus can't win. Either he's anti-Roman or he's anti-Moses. It looks like a very clever trap. In response, Jesus does something that's quite strange. He appears to ignore them. He actually kneels down and writes on the ground with his finger in the dust. What's he doing? Why is he right on the ground? It's the only time we ever see Jesus write anything at all. And he's writing in the dust with his finger. Why? He appears to be ignoring them, but he's not. They think he is, and they think we got him. We got him now. 
So they press him. This is a chance to trap this country preacher. We're not going to let him ignore us. Give sentence. Make an opinion. Make a decision. We await your judgment. <clears throat> they look at each other with that self-satisfied look. <laughs> we got you now. What they don't realize is that Jesus is given a name way, way back in the book of Genesis. Way back in the book of Genesis, Abraham is having a discussion with God about the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham asks a question, and it's one of those priceless statements that he makes that's so instructive that long after Abraham is dead and gone, we still repeat this comment over and over. Abraham said to God, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now we sang that in our song this morning. Maybe you didn't notice. (laughs) We sang in our song, Rejoice in glorious hope. Our Lord the judge shall come. The Bible tells us that over and over and over again, That there is a day coming when every man and every woman and every child shall stand before God and give an account of their lives. It's called Judgment Day and it's coming. And this Jesus who is writing on the ground with his finger is the one who will preside over the trial of the entire human race in that great day called Judgment Day. They didn't come to some uneducated country preacher like they thought. They came to the one who gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai amidst smoke and fire. They came to the one who carved with his finger in the tablets of stone, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those self-righteous scribes and Pharisees didn't know that they demanded a decision from the judge of all the earth. This time, they have been seriously outclassed. Now, if Jesus was like us, or like anybody else, if he was like one of our lawyers... He could have used what we call a technicality. Because if you go back in Moses' law, Moses only gave the sentence of stoning to death for a very specific type of adultery. If a man committed adultery with a woman promised in marriage to another, that broke the sacred vow and promise of marriage, and tore at the very fabric of family life. Therefore, Moses' law said, stone those adulterers. I want to protect marriage. But in most cases, if you read Moses' law, there is no specific order to stone to death adulterers, only to punish them. That would be a technicality. 
But if Jesus is the judge of all the earth, he doesn't need to quibble over technicality. Besides, there's a huge hole in their case. Do you recognize the hole in the case? It is fundamentally flawed. Do you see what the hole is in the case? Jesus could easily have turned them away due to lack of evidence. He could dismiss it entirely as a fraudulent case. And he could prove that these scribes and Pharisees had broken the law before they ever came to Jesus. And he could have sent them packing. My friends, do you see the hole in the case? The hole is this. Where's the other party? Where's the guilty man? You brought the woman. Where's the man? Moses' law says stone them both. If you were really trying to safeguard the sanctity of marriage by applying Moses' law to this case, you would have brought both the man and the woman in for judgment. They don't have him trapped. He's got them trapped. He could turn the tables on them and send them away in disgrace as a bunch of uninformed law students who need to go back to beginner school and learn the basics of law. He's not trapped. They are. But the same comment stands shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Oh yes, he will. If you wonder why he's writing on the ground, it's because in those days, and the same in these days, a judge must not just give an opinion, he must put it down in writing. And when he writes on the ground... He's agreeing to judge the case. And like any good judge, he will give a decision and also submit it in writing. So there they were, self-righteous scribes and Pharisees who think they've got Jesus trapped. Who think they can outsmart the judge of all the earth. Pointing at the woman who's kneeling on the ground and self-righteous indignation. Verse 7. When they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. One sentence. He gave one sentence. Yes, Moses is right. Adultery is wrong. But I give the following restriction as judge of the case which you have asked me to be. The first person to throw a stone must be without any sin of his own. After that, you go ahead and stone her. Says an old man in the group is the first to turn around and walk away. Soundly defeated by Jesus. And one by one they all turn and walk away. But still we ask the question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Verse 10. 
When Jesus lifted up himself and saw that none of the none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus said to the woman, Where are those people who wanted to stone you to death? Are they all gone? She said, Yes, Lord. He was the only one who could throw a stone without sin. He said, I'm not going to stone you either. But go and sin no more. What you did was wrong. Don't do it again. Don't do that again. And so the judge of all the earth does right. He does not condone sin. He does not approve of adultery. He calls it what it is. It's sin. But in mercy, he turns her away and says, go. So judgment is best when it is full of mercy. And so it is with you and me today. God will not condone our sin. But he's full of mercy. And offers pardon if we'll forsake our sins and confess them. We will know the fullness of mercy that God is willing to show us. So what of these men who are so effectively shut down by Jesus? As the candles in the temple are extinguished, Jesus speaks up, verse 12, and spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. As the candles were out, he stepped into the eye and the light of the world. Jesus has the ability to shine a light into your heart. And sometimes our hearts can be dark places. He shined his light into the heart of those scribes and Pharisees for sure, didn't he? And when you see What he lights up inside of you, you can confess it and get it forgiven. And you can walk in the light. Or you can do what the Pharisees did. When Jesus lit up their hypocrisy, they rejected him and they dove in deeper. Moses' law also said, thou shalt not commit murder. But in the back rooms of the temple, they were conspiring to commit murder. They wanted to kill Jesus. And now they're really angry with Jesus. And they said, we're Jews. We're the children of Abraham. And God is our father. Verse 42, Jesus answers. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. He's a liar and the father of it. Wow. He sure told them, didn't he? You desire to kill me. Your desire of that murder comes from your father. The devil is a murderer and a liar. And you bear a strong family resemblance. Your plan is 
my murder, and you lie about it. Pretty bold. And they said, Abraham's our father. Are you greater than Abraham? Verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Just like they wanted to stone the woman, but Jesus stopped them by saying, Let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. But Jesus said, you're like your father the devil. You're murderers all. You claim Abraham as your right to special treatment. I'm going to tell you this. Before Abraham was, I am. And when Moses was at the burning bush, he said to God, who are you? And God said, I am that I am. And ever since, God was known as the great I am. And when Jesus said, I am, he was claiming to be God. They quickly forgot his judgment. Let him who was without you cast the first without sin, cast the first stone. And they all ran over to the wall that was being built and grabbed stones and brought them back. They are going to stone Jesus right then and right there. But he slipped into the crowd and disappeared. It's an advantage not wearing fancy clothes. But so it was set in motion. They were going to kill him. So here it begins, the beginning of the end. On that day, they would have stoned him if he hadn't slipped away. The hatred they feel for him will only fester and grow until finally they see him crucified. They rejected the light, and they think that Jesus must die. So why did he call them children of the devil? Wasn't that a provocative thing to say? Wouldn't that cause trouble? Yes. But it's time to begin the road that will lead to Calvary. And now it is set in motion. And Jesus must die. But you and I can have mercy. We can be forgiven. We can walk in his light. So when you have a choice, make sure you choose mercy. He's got a lot of it. He's full of it. Make sure you accept what he offers. Next week, the controversy grows stronger when Jesus shows more mercy. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did. How you know what's right. We trust you as the judge of all the earth to do what's right with us if we do what's right with you. So make us faithful to you. May we listen to your voice and do what it tells us to do. Bless us, we pray, and help us that we might be the way we ought to be. Fill us with your mercy and love that we might experience the fullness of God in all those good things. We trust in you and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn in your hymn books, if you will. Page number 101, standing as we sing.
page number 101, standing as we sing in closing. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. Standing as we sing, only trust Him. Page number 101, only trust Him. prayer dear kind heavenly father that you have opened up your heart to us we are grateful that you know what's real and you shine in our hearts a light we thank you for that that we can see what's there and be forgiven by your merciful kindness so we bow before you as the great judge of all the earth and ask that you will sit in judgment on us that you will bless us as you did that day, that poor woman. So help us, Lord. Make us faithful to you that we might do as you said. Now go and sin no more. Thank you for these instructive words. Fill us with your wisdom that we might take you closer in during this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.